Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Stop. Hello and welcome to the AI Movie Night. I'm your host, Rory Greenfield, and I'm back focusing on another director and a director's work this week. Um, joining me this evening, I've got a regular on this podcast, On The Box and AI Comic Pod now. It's Sir Hefty Force. Simon, how are you doing, mate? <laughs> I'm not bad yet. Pretty good. Not bad? That's your full title, yeah. right? I've got it right. Yeah, yeah. pretty much, yeah. The That's full, the full... I, I do have a knighthood if if people are actually gonna are gonna question it it's true um, it is true it is true it's he's got the first it. horse to get the first horse ever to have a knighthood um lovely stuff i've also got a debutant uh making his podcast debut much like i did on this podcast uh, a few years ago it's craig gribble how you doing craig you okay i'm very well buddy thank you very much for having me on it's a pleasure mate we 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 often chat on on about movies i think that's why we kind of uh, you know i'm sure that that's why we kind of started discussing things on social media and you mentioned this film and this director that we're going to talk about and i just thought why not get you on and have your opinions because i know this is your kind of style of cinema really so yeah, yeah, it's really yeah good. awesome so the person we're talking about this evening um is probably a slightly lesser known director writer producer um, although I'd say his stock is is kind of firmly on the rise, uh, given his last two films. Uh, the person in question is Alex Garland. Um, he's a British, as I said, um, originally a kind of screenplay writer, um, has moved into production and then in the last few years has, has directed a couple of feature films um, and also wrote them. Uh, his background goes quite a way back, actually. It's um, writing days go back from 2000. Uh, which he wrote Danny Boyle's film The Beach. And then also 28 Days Later, a couple of years later, Sunshine, again, another collaboration. And then moved on to doing Dread uh, about five years ago, six years ago, and then directed Ex Machina and then the recently released Annihilation, uh, which in the UK came straight onto Netflix. So he's got some pedigree. It's clear that his interests lie in the slightly adverse nature of film i'd say he's not a conventional 
writer. No, it, it's it's quite bold in terms of what he does. Um, and obviously in direction, he's very much becoming kind of a pioneer in the sci-fi area, along with you know Denny Villeneuve and a couple of the other uh, directors in that kind of genre, which are kind of making a sci-fi renaissance, I'd say, in, in recent years. Um, Sam, I'll come to you first. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about his writing a little bit. I know you've read a lot of his work. Yeah. Um, what do you just feel about him as a writer? What kind of stands out to you? What do you find interesting? It's quite strange because I've read, he's written three books, but he is basically not going to do books anymore. He's moved yeah. over to the film world, but his books are very unlike the films that he writes. Like his books are quite, they're not really as weird. And they're not really kind of dystopian esque the way most of his films would be. Um, his but I think what the books just to me they're just extremely well written books. Like he's he's just a fantastic way with words and just being able to tell story. Um, and that really kind of comes across in his films. Then and he's adapted a few books himself as well in um, yeah. a few of the films that he's made. So it's interesting that he, I think in that way, he probably knows how to respect the book and kind of just the fact that he's been on both ends of adapting and of people adapting his book. Yeah, he's an I've interesting, got an interesting, yeah. interesting quote from him, actually. Um, he says, it slightly depends on your perspective, sort of how you look at these things. But when I sit down to write a script, I'm not planning to write a script. I'm planning to make a film. And so I only see the script as being a step there in that mm-hmm. direction which I, I found really interesting because in terms of writing and and the, there are a few directors that write themselves obviously tarantino and nolan are the kind of standouts but there's obviously plentiful others but it's quite quite rare that people do that i mean th- there's a mixture i mean fincher tends to take on a script and, and make a film himself um and and kind of then you can produce things maybe a little bit quicker and that's the way some directors like to work and then some directors very much like to do the whole process through but it it makes for an interesting you know it, it makes for an interesting story it's you know something you could you could discuss because it does influence i think a way a director has that personal identity to a to a film because they wrote it from scratch it's that kind of connection to a film um and it's something we'll talk about annihilation and, and it's kind of you know, issues around its release, which which he spoke out about, which maybe directors might not always care as much about the project, but if mm. you've been on it for four or five years, it's your baby, you know? Um, Craig, in terms of kind of his screenplays and, and his early work, is there, a, is there a standout to you there? I mean, 28 Days, when it came out, was just something completely different. Yeah. It was... It was just so far removed from what we'd seen from previous zombie films. And I think he just, he just came across on that so well. I mean, I was completely naive back in the day when you just watch films and people concentrate on the director so much and never look at the writer. And that was a, sort of a thing when I started to appreciate this guy. I, it was then sort of looking back at his work and thinking, Oh God, I didn't realise he wrote that or I didn't realise he participated in this. Yeah, and God bless IMDB, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was one of those things. It was like a complete eye opener yeah. of 
a lot of people wouldn't recognise his name, but would know his work. And I think I think that's where a lot of people go wrong in the film industry. We're so so focused on actors and directors, and not the people that sit there and come up with these ideas. Yeah, I think that's that. that's a really good point. It is it is a really good point. It's it's something that I started to do. So I I took a real fascination in cinematographers. Um, I probably harboured this dream to become one after watching films like Road to Perdition and there's certain films where, yeah. especially films where there's driving involved, it's just it's just this big fascination for me. Because um, I just think the way the way they produce those films and you look at the cinematographers, uh, there's obviously a few famous ones. Um, God, why can't I remember the name of anyone? Uh, the gentleman that never won a, a, an Oscar until this year. Simon, you'll be able to help me out on this. Uh, I've blanked. <laughs> oh, Christ. I know. Um, it's really bad. He's like the most famous cinematographer. And we, and we even talked about him on the last we, we pod We even well. talked about him on the last pod. Yeah, that's like, pretty disgraceful. Yeah. He won people, for... People I'm going to IMDB it because that's what you do. Um, <laughs> it's... <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is professional, isn't it? That's <laughs> this is what audiences really tune in you should, for. You should have just done it in the background without actually saying you were going to do it. No one would have mate. I'm too honest. I'm too <laughs> honest. I can't sit there and do it. Um, and the thing is, I'll be honest about IMDb here. It takes a while to get to the people that aren't the director and the actors. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's, um, that's, actually, that's actually one of the problems as well. It's, it's yeah, good, yeah, it? it is. The man himself is Roger Deakins. The Deke, um, who had famously never won an Oscar until this year for Blade Runner 2049, um, but had worked with Nolan and, and worked with Denny Villeneuve and worked with some incredible directors over the year and had been nominated a lot, but never kind of taken home the glory. Um, and there are a lot of things in terms of production value, in terms of writing, in terms of cinematographers that you know, are starting to get a little bit of recognition and I listen to other film podcasts and you can kind of hear that coming out and it's it's nice because I, I think those people are really valued on set. I think they're really valued in terms of what they, they add to a film um, but maybe not by an audience and I think like you, Craig, I think my evolution in, in liking films has just gone deeper from from that kind of information at your fingertips really as much as anything else yeah, I, think, yeah, I don't I think, think you'd, you'd catch it on the credits would you? Do you you wouldn't watch a VHS when you were a kid and go oh, look at that guy's name <laughs> you wouldn't do it you just wouldn't, it, it, you wouldn't do it before the internet kind of is what it is now so yeah I think you're right the writing is, is so important and I think if you look at the relationship with um, Alex and, and 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 some of the directors he's worked with particularly uh, God you know this yeah, thank you. Which I wrote in my agenda. I even did. <laughs> um, no, Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> exactly. Overthinking it. Um, but yeah, his, his work with Danny Boyle, particularly 28 Days Later, I think Sunshine, which is is a really kind of influential film on, on, on the way sci-fi has gone. That kind of, it's got that kind of new turn, that, that kind of change in direction that we're going to talk about in in maybe Annihilation, Next Machina, and, and I'd say Get Out, which um, was discussed previously, where it becomes one film. It's it's a certain type of film, a certain like traditional sci-fi, yeah. and then becomes almost a horror film, and it's it's or a, or a thriller, and it's just it's interesting. I think Garland's taken that into into his kind of you know more recent work, really. Mm. Simon, anything to add on on his 
just on his screenplays. Do you want to talk about um, Dread a little bit? Because I think Dread is a film I'm going to talk on coming yeah. in, in, in to rewatch. Dread, yeah, Dread is an interesting film. I feel it's a very, a very overlooked film. Now I hadn't watched it for a long time, and oh. I rewatched it last week, and it's an amazing film. It's just one of those films that I think people think of the bad one that was made in the 90s <laughs> and they just immediately just missed the film but it's probably yeah. i mean it was made in what 2012 yes so it was kind of before comic book films oh no it wasn't really was it it was about no, no, when no. when they were really kind of about to kind of peak and there's a lot more films around so i feel it maybe got a little bit lost amongst the marvel films but um it's a very it, it underestimated a film budget. but it's yeah, yeah, it didn't a have a huge budget. Film because it didn't have like, a lot of hype or a lot of marketing no, around it. No, there wasn't it. a lot behind it. But I felt it was very much about me. It was about the man, about dread. Like it wasn't like a particularly like the, there was a lot of action in it. But it felt like it was you really got to know him. And I thought it was filmed amazingly. It looked incredible. Like they take this drug called Lomo, and like the way they show. The effect of it on screen was uh, amazing. Like it looks beautiful on screen. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a fantastic film. And as I said, it is something I'm probably going to revisit because it's one of those films that is often overlooked. I think uh, Watchmen is in a similar kind of vein, but uh, mm, in the sense yeah. that it's it's another comic book adaptation that it was like Schneider, so it divides opinion anyway. But um, <laughs> well, it just does, man. He just yeah. does. He yeah, always will. Um, but it's there's a few films of, of of that nature that come out without the fanfare, without the marketing. You know, it cost thirty five million dollars to make oh, really? and, and, and grossed about forty million dollars. Oh. So it, it it's not exactly That's something people would do yeah. a lot of sequels around. Um it wasn't something they could hang their hat on as a big series, but there's been a lot of hype around it coming to Netflix for an adaptation a little bit like the the Marvel Daredevil stuff in mm. that style. I think that'd be really cool if that happens in fairness. I think it does actually have a lot of garland all over it though you yeah. talk about the sort of the human element of dread and it's prominent in all of his films yes it is and, yeah. and there was a massive i didn't realize i recently read an interview with um carl urban who obviously played dread yeah he said that garland directed a lot of that film yeah i think pete travis was the director um but it wouldn't surprise me you know because it's quite common it's only 95 minute film. It's not one yeah, of those huge yeah. things. And it, it's not like he was working with a director like Danny Boyle, who is very much, you know, people would, he, he would be the all encompassing director. He's the experienced director, you know, um, whereas Pete Travis hasn't got a big history and, and he, he hadn't really done anything in that style. He'd done kind of traditional action films before. So yeah, it kind of makes sense actually. And it, it was probably him at that turning point of going, actually, this person's kind of getting in the way of my vision. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's fair to say. I think a lot of writers so. that go down that way do suddenly get the urge to go, well, I kind of would have done that differently, but it's not my place. Or, you know, there's a lot of politics behind films and such. So, yeah, that might have been the point. And, I mean, thank heavens it happened, really, because yeah. following that film... Two years later, we got Ex Machina um, or Ex Machina. I, I really don't care how people say it. I don't it, know which one it is. No. <laughs> people always matter. correct me no. when I say Ex Machina and it drives me a bit crazy because <laughs> I don't really give a shit. Um, but 
for me, and I watch this at the cinema, and I'll, I'll ask you guys initial reactions, but for me, it's one of my finest films of the last decade. Um, yeah, easily. Yeah, and it's also, you know, probably, and, and Blade Runner kind of knocks on the door, and there's been some other fantastic films like her and, and, and stuff in recent years, but it's probably my favourite sci-fi for, for a long, long time, because it's it's so such a modern film and, and it, it touches on issues that I've talked about before, but touches on issues that are kind of relative to our existence now. And I, I always like films like that. I, I like films that, you know, don't get me wrong. I watch films from all genres, all, all eras, but you know, it's nice in, in an age of, of technology in an age of social media and an age of kind of loneliness and sadness that a film is quite, bold to kind of get those opinions on screen uh, with such a brilliant script and, and brilliant cast and, and really good premise. Um, Simon, what were your initial reactions? Did you see this at the cinema? Uh, I did, sure yeah. You did. yeah. Um, I think I pretty much just thought that film was made especially for me. Like it felt like, you know what I mean? Like when you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you, you, you kind of like you watch a film, you just go, that's like the, that's a film that I'd make for myself if I could make a film. <laughs> it's just like, I love those type of films. And I think that and Inter- that and Interstellar are probably my two favorite, my two favorite, um, sci-fi films for the last while, I'd say. And Blade Runner as well. But just, it's just a perfect film for me. I just, it was just executed so well and, and the, the fact that it feels quite, it feels very real as well. Like it feels like that's a thing that we're not too far off. And it's got a lot of twists in it. It's got, as we're talking about, it moves between a lot of different, different genres as well. The structure of it is fantastic. Um, and the acting is brilliant in it as well. Yeah. Craig, did you again cinema for this? Yeah, it was one of those ones where, you know, when the credits start rolling and you just sit there for a while, like just soaking in what you've just witnessed. Yeah. Questions pop into your head and then you realise 20 minutes has passed, you're still sitting in the cinema. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's not a Marvel film, man. What are you doing staying up? You're waiting for those end credits. <laughs> <laughs> and then, People sweeping the popcorn. The yeah, yeah, like there's a credit scene, I'm telling you. <laughs> It's just like, I don't know about you, but like I watch a lot of films and I think, God, I can, I can make a film. And then you watch a film like that and you think, nah, I couldn't really, could I? Like, no, well, I do just... two film podcasts. Yes, I think I can make a film. I, 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 I wish is, is essentially it. Um, but yeah, you do, you do, you do watch films and go, Christ, that's, that's incredible. Or you think, yeah, I kind of had that idea and I think I could put that on, you know, and, and there's films I've watched recently. I, I'm kind of fascinated by stop motion animation and that's my current dream to work at like a studios on like Cuba and the two strings and those kind of films. Um, and then the next week it'll be, you know, something like this. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. that, that stuff that requires just such immense imagination, really. I like, and it is groundbreaking imagination stuff. It is taking modern relatable issues but then putting it with this sci-fi twist and and a robotic element which as simon said i don't think is all that far away i i you know japan 
all right, they're not producing Alicia Vikander style, you know, female robots. They're producing robots <laughs> that can barely play the football. Like the assistant, probably. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I think this, and combined with her, which is, uh, it's, I think it's Spike Jones, it's, it's Joaquin Phoenix, and, um, you know, various people, but I think it's Scarlett Johansson doing the, the yeah. voice. Um, those two films, I think, are the ones that kind of really get to the bottom of, of where social culture is kind of progressing in certain areas of the world. And I think it's been really noted with Japan that that is something that might well happen because there's got a large population of people that are single and, and not having kids and not in mm. relationships. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think the directors have, have talked a lot when I've, I've read and seen stuff on, on that level, but not as, not as directly maybe. Um, obviously there's a lot that happens in this film. I think, uh, the, the premise is relatively simple. Um, it's, it's a really interesting start. You, you get, um, Gleason's character. Um, who again, he's really good in this because he, he plays naive, but then he's, he's quite shrewd at the same time. And he's got different kind of levels to him, which I don't think you, you'd expect of him for a, for a period in this film. You think he's just the guy that, you know, idolizes Nathan, Oscar Isaac's character, because Oscar Isaac's character is the, is the person that built this huge tech industry and has, has built ultimately robots and, and has got all these grand plans and designs and it's worth you know, presumably billions. He's he's kind of along the lines of of your Zuckerberg types, but we don't really know much about him outside of that because he's quite reclusive. But he he jets off obviously in a helicopter to his his home, which is a stunning, stunning place. I don't know where that house is, but I really want that house. Isn't it a uh, it's a it's a hotel somewhere in I want to say Norway. Okay, that makes sense. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of, that kind of, oh Christ, if I could afford <laughs> it, I would go and stay there, but I doubt I could. Um, it's this huge kind of, next to this huge waterfall and these great kind of ravines. It's almost kind of Jurassic Park-esque, uh, without the kind of tropical yeah. feel. I um, thought that as well, actually, yeah, that, that first bit where you, where oh, they yeah, just kind of pan there. in, it's like, yeah. I can just, Hear the Jurassic Park music playing in the background. <laughs> <It's> yeah. <laughs> and then you've got that kind of, you know, yeah, kind of scandy architecture, that really minimalist kind of apartment, you know, house that he's in up against the rock face. And it, and I know it shouldn't be a big thing in the film, but it's as much as a part of it as anything because you've got these really contrasting styles. You've got this really modern technological house against this kind of natural area and and they show it off both sides of it really well in the film i think that the location or being it just in that one area that's where the film is is nearly 99 percent shot isn't it um it's quite remarkable actually and i uh, it's not something everyone would always pick up on but i think it's quite a big factor in the film really so the premise is that he he's going to do what they call a what's the test called i can't remember during Turing yeah. test it. Turing test. Basically, he's 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 hand selected and he doesn't really know why. Um, he he thinks he's won a competition, and then he becomes pretty infatuated with Alicia Vikander's robot. Um, 
And most people would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think most people would yeah. deny that. Um, she's fascinating in this. I mean, it's her kind of breakthrough role. She's done other things since and, and is going to go on to having a pretty incredible career, I'd, I'd say. Um, but she's fascinating because their relationship and his relationship with Oscar Isaac is almost a kind of kind of love triangle. There's, there's not in the, you know, you don't know what Oscar Isaac's motive is. You don't really know what he's trying to achieve. Um, but you can kind of see the darkness. And I mean, Oscar Isaac does that as well as anyone. Um, and I think he's one of the best actors around at this stage in, in you know, in, in Hollywood. Um, and to get him on board, I thought was kind of a big draw because he, he's not done lots of well-known films. He's, he's kind of played the secondary role in things like Drive. Um, where it's a sl- almost a bit part role, and then he's on off to obviously gone on to do Star Wars and 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 appear in Annihilation and, and various sort of things as well. Um, but in this, to me, Simon is—I I just thought he was incredible. Actually, I think he 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 steals it for me. But that's that's my opinion. Yeah, no, he does play the role of the the kind of really really cool nerd, yeah. really well. That he's smart. He's got as much money as he wants. I think they mentioned something. He wrote, he wrote the code for the, for his website when he was 13. So he's just basically been like that for most of his life, probably. But then he's like, a, he's a complete alcohol, a complete alcoholic and he works out a lot. Like he's quite buff and he likes to kind of party and like have he's fun working so he's not you know system, yeah. isn't he, <laughs> so he's kind of like the cool nerd you know so he kind of has all of the he basically has the best of both worlds in a way and you can you kind of can feel like why people would be attracted to him he's got like a really big personality but then there is this darkness just on top of it and you just get little kind of hints of it as you were talking about, it, and he plays that so well. They're pretty uh, subtle, actually. I think the first time yeah. I saw it, I, I I thought he was quite intense. From my opinion, the first time I saw it is this is a guy living in isolation. You know, um, this is a guy that's cut himself off from society really, and his focus is all on this. It's not that crisis guy's a bit of a psychopath, which which I think deep down there's that element to him. Um, as you kind of, you get to see as the, the film kind of goes on, really. I think one of the surprise moments in this is he's dancing. Oh, <laughs> which... my God, that's the best scene in the film. <laughs> um, obviously, he has someone, uh, who, a Japanese actress, I think, who you believe is not a robot, you believe is a kind of silent house servant as such you know mm. it, it, that was what what it's deemed to be someone somebody who um who looks after him who cooks and cleans and various but she's obviously got a very different role to play in in, in the final of the film but when they dance together when that suddenly happens uh, I, I don't know donald gleason's uh reaction is <laughs> is, is somewhat special <laughs> it's just it's just a shocking moment, but in such a great, great performed way, you know. Yeah, he plays that kind of really, really awkwardness so well. He does. He's just, you can just tell he's just like looks so on on edge for the whole film, and he's constantly just like anxious about everything. It's brilliant. 
I love yeah. the contrast that they have in the film is very good. Like they're very kind of, they're very kind of opposites, but then I think he can match Oscar Isaac for, but he just kind of, I feel like he's kind of in a way holding everything back until obviously the end of the film, you know, but he's just kind of waiting, I think. He's got, he's got a bit of an edge, but you don't. Yeah. But you, you feel you, you bad don't really for know what his he's motives innocent, are. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he he is innocent. Really... He is innocent. Um, Craig, what's your take on 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 the kind of actors you can you can pick and choose? But Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. So he was, with yeah, he definitely uh, stole it for me as well. I think what you saw from Donald Gleeson's character is he like takes parts of Nathan's character as they're spending more time together. So I mean, he does start off very innocent. But yeah. then, as his plan formulates, he becomes more of what Nathan would do. Because, as you say, he can, he matches him almost for a sort of in, like, intellect as well. He does. And he I, does. I think he tries to prove that at the start by all these intellectual conversations he's trying to have, and Nathan's trying to pull him back to just have a frank conversation with him. And I think, um, you touched on sort of Nathan being, like, very isolated and taking himself from away from the world. And I think he sort of had a like a god complex yeah. sort of thing going on where he believed he was thirteen, created this code, which was like a search engine, wasn't it? And yeah. All like all that and it's sort of taken him outside of that world where he thinks he's more than it. And obviously that leads on to him being a creator. You're right. It's it's the god complex that, that is, is a really interesting take because he he does build robots and he doesn't see them as as human he he sees them for what they almost are you know but because they're more than artificial intelligence because they're robots that can learn and adapt and and understand their surroundings and and you see that when they have those conversations and it's interesting how there are power outages, obviously, they're really isolated, and it's Alicia's become the you know, character that's causing them, which allows her and Donald Gleason to speak without the watchful eye of Oscar Isaac, and their relationship is all based on her as Ava trying to gain her freedom, really. She she feels as other people who've been trapped in that room, which we come to come to realise that she's never going to get to see the outside world and that's really what she craves. So it's really, there are so many sub-levels and subconscious levels and so much stuff you could talk about that's probably way beyond my, my knowledge or intellect, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, and it's a little bit like the original Blade Runner about that kind of humanity levels. You know, there's a lot of elements of this that reminded me of, of the original Blade Runner about machines and, well, replicants as such wanting yeah, to be human, you know, yeah. and wanting yeah. to have a life that was more than what they had. Um, so I don't know if Ava felt like she had a specific time span or a timeline or, a, you know, lifespan as such, but there was an urgency there. And as soon as she saw an opportunity, she she kind of manipulated that to her own good. Um, and what we got from that is, I think it wasn't a twist as such, but it's a really bold step change where you go from quite bold and, and original sci-fi to a thriller slash horror kind of ending. It's got quite 
serious, you know, incident where she stabs Oscar Isaac. You know, uh, he he's trying to win back control. He's knows the plan and knows what the what's going to happen. And then she brutally murders him without even a thought. And it was how it happened and how bold it was when they stuck the knife in slowly that it's quite a brave thing to see. And so I don't know if Get Out was influenced by that directly. It might have been, it might not have been, but it, it felt quite similar, you know. And I think there's other films like Drive, which felt quite similar, where there's suddenly a shotgun to the face, which is after... <laughs> no violence as, as such it was yeah. like shit yeah, that's, that's really bold and brave and and quite shocking to witness so yeah i i was i thought the change in pace and tempo and, and that scene was pretty remarkable actually and i think that plays into where you're talking about the sort of natural environment outside so lead you into sort of false sense of security almost yeah you're just in this tranquil place and then it's like that, and it, it's very claustrophobic and very in a contained area. And then all of that happens towards the end, and you're like, whoa, like, it's very visceral, isn't it? It's very like, yeah. if it would have just happened from the outset, it would have just it would have washed over you. But The claustrophobic thing is, is bang, bang on, actually. Yeah, I didn't actually, think that's a good that point, way. yeah. If you've, you've been to see, and I'm going to keep banging on about this film until everyone sees it, A Quiet Place. Um, <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Brilliant. It's really, oh, really good. Yeah. I won't spoil anything. <laughs> really good. Um, but it's extremely claustrophobic, and it relies a lot on, on, on the sound element, and so you're so intensely watching the film. Um, but this film is claustrophobic. You are underground at times. You are in this... What what becomes a locked building at one stage, and and you feel for the character, you know. It's you feel the intensity, and I, I think that's why these actors, and that's why this director and script is just just so on point. I think it's such a remarkable film, actually. Yeah, I think it's one of those films where you, we could just talk about it for hours and just delve deeper and deeper into it, and it was just yeah. It does. So the, the best you, thing about it, like I was mentioning, is it does remind me of other sci-fi films, but in the right kind of ways. It, it takes those influences, but then puts a whole new stamp on it, which is really hard to do. I think, you know, I think that's it's a, a really difficult thing to do. Um, Simon, anything else to add before we go on to his next well, and latest? I think film? yeah, we could spend a lot. Like I, <laughs> I feel like I could I could spend about another hour or two talking about yeah. AI yeah. and the whole just the whole thing about how we treat AI and yeah and empathy I think is a, is a big thing in the film but it could I think maybe we should leave it at that for now and just, yeah, to just I say think it's, it's one of my favourite film films yeah. you, you maybe wouldn't want to watch in the dark and then Alexa starts talking to you in the background <laughs> <laughs> it's feel almost it, like you worry that AI the knife in your back <laughs> you just AI is at some point becoming more intuitive and I was harp on back to Minority Report because that film was shot I think 2002 3 something like that uh, maybe a little bit later um, but that's got so much technology that is evident in today's society you know it, it's yeah. it's all about eye recognition which you know iPhone X is yeah, true, and true, yeah. um and the touchscreen elements in there, which weren't really around in the mass at that stage, where you had the screens where he's dragging and dropping everything on these huge screens, and it's all interactive. Um, and some of the other technological elements, which were kind of way ahead of 
of their time and now seem kind of normal in everyday society. And that film's only 15, 16 years old. So that's, um, that's, uh, what's his name? Philip K. Dick was pretty, yes, pretty far. He was pretty good at kind of, uh, predicting what was going to happen. He's a kind of pioneer of that, really. He obviously wrote, yeah, he wrote Blade Runner, Total Recall, um, a really cool sci-fi I like called The Scanner Darkly, which is kind of weird. Oh, Um, Oh, man. So so good. Yeah. (laughs) So shaded, yeah. I need to go back and watch that because I've literally watched it twice a long, long time ago. Um, That's amazing. And so he's done some very interesting things. And and like you said, it's people that are looking forward into the future. But... um, it is interesting to see where technology goes and, and, and what happens, I think. And I think in the next kind of 10 to 15 years, not quite those levels of, of, of AI, but there's going to be huge advancements. You know, there's going to be yeah. absolutely massive advancements and the technology is probably in part already there, but it's the, it's the cost and the complexity of it all that, that, you know, will take time. Um, so moving on so we can talk about this film, which, has has frankly kind of divided everyone and I understand why. Um and I think the big part about it with Annihilation is there's a lot of anticipation for people like myself and, and I'm sure both of you and, and various people who, who wanted to follow up to X Machina in a way, you know, when when you look at directors' work and, and writers' work and go, Christ, what are they doing? What are they up to? And obviously he's taken quite a while to produce this, it's four years since X Machina. Um, and comes out with a film that gets a uh, small cinema release in the States or moderate cinema release in the States and then is deemed to have an ending perhaps or a style that isn't fitting with a mass audience um, so doesn't get a full release due to kind of the, the fear I think for Paramount that it wouldn't make the money back. Um, so they, they struck a deal with Netflix and it got mass released in the UK and Ireland, um, all over the rest of the world, I think. Um, and it's frustrating because for me, it's a film that should have, I, I wanted to watch at the cinema. Um, because I, there's a film called Snowpiercer that I don't know if you guys have watched. Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, so that's a film that never got an international release. Um, it's still not actually applicable or available on DVD or Blu-ray in the UK. It's it got an American release, and then the distributor or the, the rights holder just fell out with everybody else. <laughs> Never got released, even though it's quite a big film with some quite big actors in it. And that does happen. But this is quite shocking in 2018. But it is quite a modern sign if you talk about modern society of, of people watching things on Netflix and watching things instantly. My issue with that is I think it attracts audiences that this film wouldn't have got, but in a positive way, maybe it attracts people that wouldn't have watched it at the same instance and maybe loved it. It's it's a difficult one and it's a difficult discussion, but I think that's why there's been such a mixed reaction. I mean, Craig, have you felt that on social media? Have you read certain elements of people going, oh, this film's shit, or I love this Yeah, film. yeah, definitely. I think it's... Um... It's divided, as you say, a lot of people. I think it's, it's positive for, um, one of its positives coming to Netflix is that normally you proactively look at going to see a film at the cinema. Do you, you see a trailer or you, you read up about a film, you go, right, date's coming out. I'm going to go and see it. Whereas Netflix is on a lot of people's TVs, 
yeah. by entertainment systems and they just turn it on and Netflix is a great way of just pushing to the forefront what's new. And I think that would have been where people were like sitting there on a Friday night thinking, I want to watch a film, I'll turn on Netflix, what's this? It's got Natalie Portman in it to really have that stand out actor that people, actress that people know. And I think that would have like got a lot of people in that wouldn't have seen it. And then maybe that's detrimental to it because they're not the sort of people that would, unquote, appreciate that sort of film and then left going, what was that? And that's where the, the sort of negativity comes in. Yeah, and I think that's what Alex Garland's issue was. With the fact that he'd made a film that had really been made to be seen at the cinema because visually it's oh, yeah. stunning, you know? I mean, visually it's it's next level. Um, and it's a kind of tense atmospheric film that I think would suit a cinema rather than people watch it on their iPad, you know, at home or, or God forbid on their phone or, or <laughs> on the know. train. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> on the way into work. I get yeah. it, man. I get it. You know, we all got to watch what we got to watch and how we do it and how we, you know, we can, but it's, it, it must be frustrating for a director and a writer who's, who's worked all the way through on this project and, and ultimately fallen in, you know, and he wants a mass, release you know x machina did so well it was kind of this surprise sleeper hit and then it really got a lot of buzz and traction um and a load of people watched it that again maybe wouldn't have traditionally watched that kind of sci-fi i i think um but this film it's a little bit braver and i think requires a lot of imagination at times it's got a lot of even more subtlety in terms of the messages it's trying to get across um and it, it's just not got those kind of instant hits bar a couple of scenes that maybe people want from a film. I think people were expecting. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I don't know, more action, maybe? I, I don't know if that's cruel to say, but I think, given the premise, I think they thought there'd be a lot more a lot more action in it, a lot more development of that style, whereas actually the, what he's going for and what they produce is a, a film that's much more about human emotion and desperation and loss. And, um, which is, is kind of what 
surprised a lot of people and then left people a little bit cold towards it. Personally, I think it's fantastic. I mean, Simon, you've probably watched it a dozen times. <laughs> I've watched it twice. Yeah. Only twice. <laughs> only twice. So far, it's only been out. I've watched it twice too. and I've read the book once. Yeah. It's very different from the book, right? It's extremely different, but it's interesting. I've listened to him talk about this and he basically read the book when I think he, when he was working on X, Mark and a, a person mailed him the book and said, here's a book that, you know, that, that I think you'd be into. And he read the book one time and that was it. And he wanted to, to, to basically just capture how the book felt to him and he thought that the book felt very like just weird and dream like and that it was very and that he didn't know what was what he didn't know what was going to happen next and that's what he wanted to take from the film or from the book so he basically just based the film on what he remembered from reading the book one time and he didn't want to make it a beef, a beat for beat adaptation of the book. So it's very interesting because the book has a really strange feel about it. And I feel like the book and the film both feel the same, but they're completely, they're not alike. Uh, it's much like the Blade Runner book and film. Like that's what I'd pick as the, yeah, you know, it's, I, it's I don't think that type of a feel, translate, you know, because it's so I think that's difficult. what he thought. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a it's really, so really odd book. Dreamlike, oddlike book, like you mentioned. It's it's hard it's a really to get weird that. Book, like, but yeah. it's very hard to get that without imagination, because obviously a book is That's all centered problem. around yeah. your imagination and what you envisage to shimmer to be. And he's obviously trying to create that vision. And let's be honest, I mean, the shimmer itself and and all the creatures among it look astonishing. Oh, it's amazing. I actually. I I I I um actually just found out that it was filmed in England. Was it? Yeah. I'm all for that. All for that. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Going really strong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Do this. Um, I would uh, talk about the cast a little bit in terms of who's in this. So, um, we have got Oscar Isaac in a slightly reduced role. Um, he is a character that's been into the Shimmer, um, married to Natalie Portman, and you get what would be a different Oscar Isaac come out of the shimmer, I think it's fair to say. Um, and I, I, this is spoilers because you obviously, you know, there's no point talking about this film without being honest about it and, and what it does. But um, so Natalie Portman's character, as you mentioned, um, Jennifer Jason Lee, who is, is excellent in this, Tessa Thompson. Um, and I think the other lady that goes into the shimmer is Gina Rodriguez. And maybe there's another one, but it's quite a pro female centered cast, you know, the, they're the ones that are going to the shimmer for various different reasons. Um, but I think they're all going because they feel they've got nothing left to live for. I, I think that might be a little bit bold. I think Natalie Portman, aside from that, I think she's going Apart for Natalie Portman, yeah. She's going for answers. Yeah. Um, but I think the she's rest kind of going, going for her husband, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. But I think the rest are all going because for various reasons or another, that's, they kind of accepted their fate. And it, and it is a film that surprised me in that regard. And, and as the film kind of, uh, drives on, we slowly lose these characters one after another. I think the most shocking one is in relation to the bear. 
Um, <laughs> Craig, <laughs> I, I honestly incredible, like so scary. The fact that this bear attacks this character and then takes on their voice and takes on their dying screams is one of the scariest but incredible creations in you know, I think Guillermo del Toro would be proud of this bear, let's be honest. Yeah, is that is that I wanna ask, is that is that mentioned in the book? Is that anything related to the book or is that just Alex no, God's mind just not, going out of control? It's not in the book. No. The book the, the book hasn't really got any of the weird monsters in it in the same way. At all, actually. Yes. So it's just Alex Garland's been absolutely fucking mental. (laughs) (laughs) As you'd expect. We can take this deranged bear and how can we make it worse? (laughs) Oh, let's just let it take on people's dying screen. Yeah. Yeah. That whole. Yeah. You just, I think it's it's one of those sort of seem to be believed, isn't it? Moments and film where. I was was fucking. (laughs) Whoa. I was freaking out watching that. I was like, I can't, I couldn't. Nearly couldn't watch the screen at that part. That was fucking frightening. It's really <laughs> scary. It was amazing though. <laughs> it is amazing. I think that's what I took from it. I was like, whoa, this is, what the hell is that? Oh shit, what the fuck is that thing? And then it just <laughs> ramps up the tension and it ramps up the fear element. And it yeah, has, he, he sort of does it again. He sort of flips on his head where it's like a he does. journey about them sort of, and they're all sort of broken characters. That's all. Yes. He's, life as an addict there's and they sort of go into it and yeah as you say portman's looking for answers but and then it just flips on its i mean that come the the whole crocodile incident came out of nowhere as well you just and then from then on you're like oh this isn't a safe place because it's you you just (laughs) see nothing but beauty at the start of it and they're seeing all these this plant life and it's very dreamlike as you say and then then the the horror element comes in and it's a nightmare place to be in but it's that sort of juxtaposition of this natural place again, isn't it? But yeah. I, I mean, the main thing I took from this film, um, and, and we can kind of talk about the ending, but Christ, I couldn't explain it for the life of me. Um, <laughs> but, so one of the lines um, when Natalie Portman is, is speaking to uh, the psychiatrist or psychologist um, is that she's saying about Oscar Isaac's character and, and going for uh, suicide reasons really and she says that i think you're confusing suicide with self-destruction and they're very different almost none of us commit suicide whereas almost all of us self-destruct somehow in some part of our lives we drink or take yeah. drugs or destabilize a happy job or happy marriage um, but these aren't decisions they're impulses um, and in fact as a biologist you're a better place to explain this than me um i thought that it needed something like that, I'd say, as a film. I think it needed some kind of self-explanation. Just, you can't always be subtle. Do you know what I mean? You can't always just try and be the smartest person in the room. I think sometimes films like this can get in that way and become a little bit too up their own arses, if if I'm being honest. I, I think films do do that at times, but I think this film had the right balance of telling you what you needed to know, but also leaving enough open to the imagination and yeah, open yeah. to your mind to to take what you want from it, you know. And I think it's a shame from a cinema expe- experience that I would have I watched this at the cinema and come out and thought about this all night, and I still thought about it. Don't get me wrong, but I think the cinema would have made it more intense. Um, and that ending, 
I don't know. Can I explain it, or people just have to watch this film and take their own interpretation? <laughs> Simon, have you got a chance? To yeah, explain I, this? <laughs> I think I can explain it. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I didn't think it would like. It's just like to me, a lot of films like uh, Interstellar and 2001 just have these endings where the film just turns and turns to this massive acid acid trip. <laughs> weirdness and <laughs> and I think it, w- it works really well because most of the film isn't like that I mean I, I know like where they are is a very w- weird spot but I think the end is just strange and I suppose how would you explain it like Natalie Portman finds the she she comes to the lighthouse at the very end and she sees the so the psychologist down this weird little hole, which yep. is which is obviously the point where the meteor had hit in the in the it's the center of opening of the film. Created. Yeah, I think so to explain a little bit, the shimmer opens is with that, that thing, right? Yeah, the shimmer is the something media. that creates a life force. It, it, it's it's something that creates what do they say? New life refracts all of the life back yes. into itself yeah. and it so basically makes things evolve all at one time so you see like multiple like multiple plants all on one stalk and you see animals with a bunch of different teeth and things just like evolve really fast or something yeah, it's, it's yeah. quite it doesn't really make like it's hard to explain and then it also kind of inf- it it infects the people who are there and it gets into their becomes like a part of them i suppose right and they kind of turn into what this weird alien shimmer is yeah <laughs> and that makes that's yeah really that's really turn people off the film that's, now. that's an insightful that's, that's an insightful you could write that down and still struggle to explain it. it it's it's one of those films you do need to see it um and it's a difficult ending to, to really kind of get across because it's, it's okay yeah. you need to see it man i think that's the thing it's like it and open to how do you explain that ending well the big thing with me is that she didn't want to take her own life she still wanted to be herself and and i think you know, the uh, most people that go to that lighthouse or get that far into the shimmer, if they do, um, are going to end it all. Whereas she, she's not, and and the shimmer form is is part induced into into Natalie Portman's being human, but it's not fully because she she doesn't let it. She's you know, and and it burns down the lighthouse for the, that. Reason because she's she's the first one to not. She's I the think, one that doesn't yeah. want to destroy her life. She wants to live, mm. but that mm. probably made no fucking sense either. Um, no, I it is, but, I, but then is I that so. it, is it growing inside of her then on the outside of the shimmer? Yeah, that's, that's what I thought thing. as well. Because, like, I think from my perspective, she was the first one to make it out of there with um either without being annihilated by the alien thing or without becoming a, a um, what's the word, doppelganger of herself. Doppelganger, yeah. yeah. So, I think the next part of this, I'm just going to do Die Hard. 
<laughs> just do something easy. <laughs> something with um, a straight storyline. Yeah, something something really simple. <laughs> I think I think what I took from it was that it is it is become a part of her. Yeah. As it is this it is they talked about it being ever expanding. So it was like as she was expanding with cells that break into two to four to eight. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's what it's just it starts off as just one cell inside her and then just grows inside her. And it will eventually But I, I think it's really interesting though. I, I do I genuinely think the film as a as a as a piece is, is really fascinating. I think visually it's it's pretty incredible. Um and I and I like I said, I, I think there's deep regrets there that it wasn't released because critically people love it. And I think mm. the audience that would like this kind of film really took to it. I, I, you know, I'd say that it's not for everyone. Um, not like Ex Machina, which I think people expect maybe Ex Machina part two and it's just not. It's very different to that. Um, but it's brave and it's bold. And I think that's something you can always say about Alex Garland is I think he always pushes boundaries. Um, what he's doing next is quite interesting. I think today it's just been learned that he's, uh, he's writing a script for something called The Toy Maker's Secret that I think is being yep. directed by his wife. Um, <laughs> it's a British film, uh, animation film, um, by TriStar that sounds really interesting, actually. And like I said before, I'm big on animation. And if it's stop motion, the better. That'll be amazing. If it's not, it'll still be cool. But it's cool to see that he's doing something different. And I like when directors think outside the box. I'm sure he's got plans for his next sci-fi film because I think that is the genre that he excels in and revels in and loves but you know he's the kind of guy that you could see directing a star wars film if they decided to bring on someone like him he's got certain similarities to rian johnson um who slightly directs different styles but looper's got certain things that cross over a little bit and he's kind of young interesting director but maybe not go down that route you know there's a lot of cool studios and a lot of things you can work with um I think Denny Villeneuve, who I'm going to cover in some weeks, is another director doing that. Um, Arrival is a little bit more of a straightforward sci-fi tale, but um, you, you've got some interesting work going on there in that kind of area of film, which I think was lost for a long time. I mean, Greg, you're pretty big on sci-fi. Are you enjoying, I mean, obviously the, the renaissance in, in that kind of... And maybe it's not, maybe I'm wrong, but it did feel like the 90s was just all actions. Really, and, and romantic comedies, and, and not a lot in between. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think it does. It, it ebb and flows, doesn't it? Ebb and like throughout cinema, you get peaks yeah. across of when things are in and when things are out. And I think it's just it's just taken someone like him to sort of just come back with sort of original ideas and push it in a in a different direction. And maybe it's with this melding genres that he seems to do that's. Just like so appealing to people where he flips films on their heads and I think I think he's gonna push a lot of people to get back into that genre and sort of a, a thinking man sci-fi as opposed to a action-packed sci-fi yeah we've been inundated with so um yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to what he does what who he inspires to do more as well and I think that's a really good point because I think you can see that he's been inspired and he's obviously taken some of that inspiration on, made his own films. And, and, and I think there's also inspired to, there's a certain level of competitiveness. I think we said maybe that, you know, if he got involved in the direction of Dread, it's him going, well, I think I can do better than this. You know, I think I can create something different and unique and individual. Um, and, and 
cinemas doing that. There's been some really bold releases that are starting to get recognition. I keep mentioning Get Out because it always comes back to mind when you're talking about cross-genre films, but I mean, yeah. that, that, that film crosses out four genres for me. Um, <laughs> it does, because it's kind of got that kind of dark comedy link and then the it horror is, yeah. and thriller and, and just really, really... It almost opens like a rom-com as well, for Christ's sake. It's such a clever film. <laughs> um, you just don't know what to expect in the slightest. And it, it just took me completely by surprise. Um, and, and directors are doing that now. And I think it's keeping audiences guessing a little bit. And, and you know, you're not your traditional plot twists. You, you're really getting interesting talking points in films, which have always been there. But yeah, I think Alex Garland is one of those that's upping that and I think making it quite special. Um, Simon, you're obviously a big fan, excited to see what he does next and where he goes in the future. Very excited. I kind of hope he writes more books as well, but I don't think that's ever kind of happened again. He seems pretty burnt out. Film work dries up, you never know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. he's still still pretty, he's still young, so he's got got enough time now, you know. Oh yeah, no excuses for this. Yeah, mid 40s, he's got plenty of time. But I think, yeah, just very looking forward to see how he evolves himself and what if he'll if he'll move away into a new a new genre of film or yeah or he might I think the point that you made about him being asked to maybe do like a really big film I think he's nearly at that point now I think if he makes one more like amazing film he'll be They'll be on pretty much everyone's radar then. I think um, as a Marvel fan, I'd I'd love to see Doctor uh, Strange, be Doctor Strange yeah. directed um, Alex Garland film that, or something. That's a great call, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good shit. That could be. Or something really dark. Good. You know, there are elements. You know, where we've seen R-rated films in you know Logan and and Deadpool. Um, you know, quite intense films made in in that genre. But I think there's there's scope and there's so much comic material. Um, he could do a really cool blade reimagination as well. Um, there's a lot that he could work with actually. Something like, yeah, something really weird like I don't know, saga. That's, Give me, that's, let that's him do an alien film. It. Let him do an alien film because that would be stop. That's making, what I thought actually. Yeah, stop letting Ridley Scott make horrific alien films. I did. Um, just <laughs> killing me. I, I think your man uh, Neil Blumkamp. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think he's on board for doing the next. No, because he fell film. out. With it's him. not. He fell oh, out really? Him, yeah, he was uh, going to make it. That's a shame. They went off and made the latest. Oh, really? Awful, oh, um, God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I think there's there's interesting things there to, to work with, and I think he's such a cool director. And, you know, I think you're just excited to see what he does next. And he's, he's in that line of, of interesting directors that. Are just pushing boundaries and 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 people can't stop and not pay attention. I think, and that's that's what you're seeing in cinema. And uh, yeah, that's always a buzz for me because that's what uh, you know. That's what I I love about cinema. I love people that do things that are a little bit different and a little bit bold. And I think Ex Machina is, is, like I said, one of my favourite films in recent years. Annihilation is is a more difficult watch, but I think it's got really good rewards to be taken from it. And looking back at some of the screenplays and work he's done, it's just, it's just phenomenal, phenomenal body of work for kind of a fledgling 
director you know mm. so we'll we'll see yeah where he goes next and, and what opportunity and i think he will be offered some big things but i kind of think he'll still go his own road because you know that's 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 him I'd prefer, um, yeah. yeah i think he's it's slightly stubborn-minded i think he's been screwed by a studio recently so it might still make him even more bloody-minded to do his own thing which i think i think will work see, yeah yeah um Thanks, gents, for, for coming on. I, I do really appreciate your time and it's been a really good conversation and I will have you both on in the future discussing, I don't know, there's infinite possibilities for this podcast, which is why I love film podcasts so much because there's obviously always new releases. Um, before you go, I know you don't do other podcasts or haven't recently. Um, what film would you recommend people to watch? Uh, Craig, is there anything you've watched at cinema recently or anything you'd just like to throw out there, maybe in the sci-fi genre that people might not have seen? Uh, not for, I'm one of those people that's never in the zeitgeist of films that are out at the moment, so I am catching up on a backlog of 2017 so nice. far, um, which is which is lovely. Um, What's the thing you saw? Uh, three billboards. That's a good shout. It's always Which, a good chance people haven't seen it. Blew me away. But for a just uh, off-the-cuff weird film <laughs> is um, Wrist Cutters, A True Love Story, which is mind-bending. Do you know what? I've heard of that. Who's in that film? Uh, I couldn't tell you. It was one of those ones where I just someone I just read about it somewhere and thought, oh, I'll try this. And premises starts off with a guy that kills himself and then is in the afterlife. Trying to find love, which is it's got weird. The kid. <laughs> yeah, I knew I'd heard of it. It's got the kid Patrick Fugit from Almost Famous, and I love Almost Famous, so I I always checked out his body of work. Okay, so I'll check that out, man. That's cool. Always, <laughs> Added always to the one hundred weird recommendation. <laughs> oh, the yeah. hundred films is is honestly it's it's a task. I watched <laughs> I watched and I'll do mine. I watched Birdman yesterday, which I know Simon loves. Oh my um, god, yes. it blew me away. Yes. It's fantastic. Oh, it's fucking film. unbelievable. Yeah, it it really is. Um, and I would keep recommending The Quiet Place while it's at the cinema. And I really do think you have to see it at the cinema. But try and go to like a really obscure time when no one else is going to be there. Because <laughs> yes. honestly, if you reach for the popcorn in that film, you will be <laughs> shitting yourself that you made the sound. It's bizarre. You just can't make any noise because you're worried it's going to attract attention to you because it's such a quiet <laughs> film. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, Simon, uh, anything from you? I know you've been to see Isle of Dogs recently. Oh, Isle of Dogs is just makes me so happy. It's just one of those films <laughs> that you just feel like on top of the world after. It's such a, it's just really feel good film and the animation is just like, yeah, stop you, motion. it's fucking next level. I just love Wes Anderson. A quiet place. I'll recommend that one too. I didn't know a thing about the film. So yeah, I was really, either. I was really, really shocked when I went to see it, but it's fantastic. Really good. Them it two is. films are definitely both. It's been a good need run to watch for them cinema. both in the been a really good fun run for cinema. cinema. I I went yeah, to see Ready great. Ready Play One and we did a podcast about it, uh, which is still on the channel from from last week. Um, I need to watch that to, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's it's Spielberg kind of style, obviously, and it's it's a lot of fun, but huge pop culture references, which kind of suits me down to the ground. Um, and I recently, on the other side of things, did a, we did our Marvel moments on AI Comic Pod building up to Infinity War, which is out next bloody week. Um, yeah, bloody shit. <laughs> versus Liverpool. It's going to be a hell of a week next week. Oh my um, God, yeah. Wow. I will be back 
podcasting soon on this. Um, we've got a few things in the works. Me and Simon are going to talk Wes Anderson, and I'm going to look at Denny Villeneuve's work soon, and there's going to be a Tarantino pod coming up in the next few weeks, months, six weeks. So it's it's a lot in the, in the off. So um, thanks to everyone for giving feedback and tuning in. Thanks to everyone that um, did for Ready Player One, and, and I hope will listen to this. And really do, you know, give me feedback on this because it's all still new to me. And it's anyone that wants to come on, already had a couple of people making a debut on this podcast and um craig was excellent as well as everyone else that's coming on and it's great because you know we eventually you know essentially just talking things we love um and interacting and that's what we do on social media and that's how we all make acquaintances really so it's it's been a lot of fun that's it for me um i will be back with you soon and yeah keep watching films stop Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.